I'm going to be honest. This third message was the hardest one for me to write. Um, when I finally sat down to actually start writing it, I had taken, it had been about seven months since I wrote ready question mark. So, and the biggest issue, even though, I mean, there were some busy months, I was doing some stuff, but the biggest issue was simply that I wasn't hearing what I wanted to hear from God. So I'm not going to say I wasn't hearing from him because I was hearing from him, just not what I wanted to hear. But when when I wrote this, the day that I wrote this, I was sitting in a truck in Florida. It was about 36 hours before a storm hit. I knew the storm was coming. I knew that I was leaving. But I also, like I said, I wasn't praying. I wasn't even really thinking about this particular series that I was writing. I wasn't thinking about writing anything. And then it kind of came to me. You don't have to. And I know that sounds fake because the the phrase we're working with is stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we already I had already written stay and ready. So. So the only words left are you don't have to get ready, but. I didn't understand it, so that is when I started praying. Um, And so I asked him, God, what I don't have to what like, what are you talking about? And his response was anything. You don't have to know. You don't have to understand. You don't have to hear clearly. You don't have to think. Then how do you move? Now, I know y'all are going to say, well, I'm ready. So you had already said God doesn't ask you to think. Um, he asked you to follow instructions. And you're right. I did write that seven months ago <laughs> from the time I was writing this. But I had been seven months in the ready phase. You know what I'm saying? I had been seven months in the phase of, okay, I stayed and I'm ready and I'm sewing. And I'm sewing. I'm giving back. I'm talking to people. I'm praying. I'm tithing. I'm, I'm doing the things. And it's been seven months and I ain't heard nothing else. And it can't still be ready so time. But I'm here to tell you it's been... It's been, I want to say, three months since I wrote this. I'm still in the ready so phase. But I'm on the you don't have to train, I guess. Because you don't have to do anything other than believe in God. And so I was like, okay, well, I need you to give me more specifics on this. And so in John 6, 25... And just for context and for reference, um, John 6 and 25 is after um, Jesus fed the masses with the fish and the bread. Five loaves of bread, two fish and five loaves of bread fed the thousands. This is after that. This is after Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to separate and go pray. And then they go out onto the water and Peter sees the storm happens. Peter sees him and he gets out and walks on the water. Um, this is after that. The people he fed came looking for him. Why? The same reason my mama told me not to leave milk out for stray cats. When you feed an animal, and that is all humans are scientifically, they will come back. 
that's just kind of human nature. It's kind of animal nature. It's not even human. It's animal nature. If you feed animals, they come back. If you feed bugs, they come back. If you feed humans, they come back. So Jesus had just fed these people. And so, of course, when he left them, they came looking for him. And when they found him, they asked when he got there because he was on the other side of the river. So, so again, Jesus left to pray, right? And in between where he was to feed the mass and where he ended up praying was a giant body of water said water that was walked on by Peter and Jesus. So when the people that were looking for him found him on the other side, they said, when did you get here? What they really meant, though, was how did you get here? So you may be saying, Shelman, why do you think they would ask? Why do you think they were asking how instead of when? Well, that's easy to me. I think they were asking when because in their head they were looking for for him. So they would have seen him cross the river because these are humans with human thoughts. He would need a boat. He would need. So they would have seen him cross the river. But realistically, they wanted to know how because they know he didn't cross the river. They know we we were watching. You ain't crossed the river, Jesus. And that's kind of my first point for myself. It was it was God's first point for me. Quit trying to figure me out. Quit trying to figure God out because you won't. In John 6 and 26 is just the very next verse. Jesus reads them. Now, in case you're not up to date on the colloquialisms of today's time, to read somebody simply means you are giving them information that should be obvious, but obviously it's not. And that ignorance is to their detriment. So Jesus tells them, <laughs> you're not looking for me because I showed you that I can do a miracle. You're looking for me because I gave you food and you got full and now you're hungry again. But let me explain something to you. You shouldn't be searching for food that spoils. Search for the food that has everlasting life. Basically, he tells them to quit looking for resources and find the source. So just just so that everybody is on the same page. Let's actually get into these verses. I'm going to read all of John 6, 22 through 27 for you just so we can be on the same page. This is the New International Version. The next day, this is John 6, 22. The next day, the crowd that, he, that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus has not, had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to the Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him. God, the father has placed his seal of approval. 
So basically, they went back to the boat, or they went back to the place where he had fed them, realized that there was a boat there, but Jesus didn't get on that boat with his disciples. The disciples left by themselves. So when they get, so when they see these boats and then look around and don't see Jesus or the disciples, they decide, okay, we need to go look because these are the only people who can provide food for us. And so they go get in these boats, by the way, that weren't theirs, and then go and they find Jesus and they say, when did you get here? And Jesus tells them, you're not even looking for me because I did a miracle. You're looking for me to feed you. But I'm telling you now, you should stop looking for food that spoils because even if I give it to you as a miracle, it will still spoil. Let's remember the, pe- the children in the wilderness had to get new manna every day. Even if I give you the food, it'll spoil. You should look for food that endures to eternal life. Or you should eat the word of God. That, that should be your feel. You should get your feel from the word of God. So after having read this, I was like, okay, I hear you. Quit looking for resources. Find the source. Or for me, all he asks you to do, God, the work of God. What do you have to do to do the mighty works of God? We always hear about the mighty works of God. And in John 6, 28 and 29, he says, they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires, which is what I had been asking. What am I not doing, God? What what could I be doing? I'm sowing. I'm giving. I'm... And Jesus answered, the work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. See, if you're like me, you spend a lot of time working to show yourself approved because that's what the Bible says to do. Even in this series, we've already talked about staying, right, where the work is waiting on God. Then we talked about you're ready after you've endured. The work is sowing love and kindness and time and energy. But now the work is believing See, the revelation that hit me while I was sitting in the truck after marinating and praying about the series for months is that the work when you're following God is not physical work. It's mental work. And let me tell you the wonders of autocorrect, because, again, I was sitting in a truck and so I didn't have my computer, so I wasn't able to type this. So I was like, let me go faster. And I was using voice to text. Autocorrect when I said, because some people seem to believe I have an accent and Siri is one of those people. When I said mental work, Siri typed out if it's meant to work. And so I'm going to make that point number three. And if you missed it, point number two, I don't think I pointed it out, but point number two. And so point number three, if it's meant to work, it is mental work. Believing in God always is. That's the part older Christians forget to tell us younger Christians, which is why a lot of us younger Christians didn't think we were Christians at all. We thought that if you paid tithes, you went to church and you believed in God, then life would be good. But the reason we don't often hear the full story of Job is because even the people who believed in God told him to turn his back on Job, on God. Even like in Job's life, 
when when God was letting Satan test Job and take everything from him and punish him. And when I say everything, I mean kids, possessions, health, everything. When God was letting Satan do that, even the people around Job who believed in God told him to turn his back on God. Job's wife told him to curse God and die. Because, again, Job lost all of his physical things. So Satan told God, let me test him because anybody can lose their physical things and still love you. So Satan, and this is after he took his family. And so a lot of us want to blame Job's wife and say that Job's wife was wrong, but her kids died. So anybody who's lost someone significantly close to them understands that type of pain. We've all, maybe we all haven't been there, but I definitely have. When, when my mom died, I definitely was like, God, why, why would you do such a thing? Like, how can you be real? And the one person I know who loves God more than anybody, you've taken them. Why would you do that? I was in my curse God and die phase right at that time. But Job still wouldn't turn on God. Now, I know you think I'm going to say, Satan took Job's mental, but this is why I think the work of God is mental and not physical. Satan can affect what you have. God has given him that power. Satan can affect what you see. God has given him that power. Satan can affect how you feel. God has given him that power. But the one place God has given you more power than Satan is is the last one. While Satan can affect everything physical more than you can. Because he's simply more powerful than you in those areas. What you have, what you see, how you feel. When it comes to the mental aspect of life, you have more power than him. No matter who Job was talking to, he simply said, I will not curse God. He had already made up in his mind that no matter what goes wrong in my life, I'm not going to curse God. See, power of life and death lies in the tongue. But even before it gets to the tongue, it lies in the brain. See, what you say, what you let come out of your mouth can kill you. But you have to create the thought before it even comes out of your mouth. And while you you need God... Not you want God. Satan is more powerful than you in the physical realm. God is the most powerful. So you need him to protect you from Satan. When it comes to what you have and what you see and how you feel. But when it comes to simply making up your mind that you will follow and serve the Lord. That's a you thing. And God is and God has always given us that freedom, the choice, which is why I believe like my personal belief is that God had to make us more powerful than Satan in what we think because he allows us the freedom to choose him, which means we have to think he is first. 
If he doesn't allow us to be more powerful than Satan in what we think, then all Satan would have to do is take over everybody's thoughts. And then we'd no longer be able to choose God and he would win. So God said, I'm going to make sure that y'all have the ability to think for yourselves over anything else. That means nothing will be more powerful than your thoughts. Except for me, but I'm not going to overpower your thoughts. If you don't want to serve me, you don't have to. But I'm going to make sure that if you do want to serve me, if your heart wants to serve me, then you will always be able to control your brain, your mind, your mental state. You have control over that. So sitting in the truck, I was trying to figure out how following God had gotten me there. I'm making significantly less money. I was making significantly less money than when I started this series. Um, All of the things I was attached to and the places I was attached to and the people I grouped myself with, they weren't with me in this moment. In the six months from when I had started writing a series in my house to where I was now sitting in this truck, I had sort of taken... A Job-like loss. Now, I hadn't lost my family. I hadn't lost my kid. I hadn't lost the things around me. But I had sold all of my furniture and really gave most of it away. I had given away most of my clothes, most of my shoes, all of the things that I was hoarding. Because I thought they were helping make me who I was. And more than anything, I had prayed my way through a lot of that. So I knew that God was telling me to to give away those things to give up a lot of my earthly possessions. Obviously, I didn't give away everything. I still have clothes that I wear. I still have my computer, my phone, my car. But God had been telling me, I need you to make space for me. The the, the changes I'm about to make in your life, you don't even have room for them because you've been holding on to everything. And I literally had clothes and shoes and furniture and computers and laptops that I'd had since high school. Some since middle school. I gave away a shirt that I'd had since I was in elementary school, which speaks to my lack of growth physically <laughs> since elementary school. But real and, and the change of style because it was a 3X and I'm not even a 3X now and I wasn't then. But I had had so many things for so long that I didn't feel like I could give them away. So even when I did my yearly clean out my closet and get rid of stuff I don't use, I'd still been holding on to things that I didn't need. And it was super clear to me that God said that was part of my ready question mark. And I was like, no, I'm not ready. I still don't even like even if God wanted to enter my life and enter my space, I don't have room for him. I need to. And I felt that I heard him say that. That was a part of that phase for me. So I had given away all of these things, but I used to think that the worst place to be is outside of God's will. But in that moment, sitting in the truck, right before I got this revelation, I felt like I was in God's will, but I was in the back of God's mind, and that felt worse to me. I'm a, and let me remind you, by this time, I had already written stay and ready. So 
I had thought about and prayed about these last two messages. And still in my waiting season, I felt like God had forgotten about me. Like I felt like he gave me incomplete instructions and then started giving someone else instructions. (laughs) And so I was just lost in his will. I was confused in his will. I was lonely in his will. But I remembered sitting in the truck. But I am in his will. Like that part to me was completely undeniable. Like I prayed to be here. I prayed no matter where it takes me, God, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to do what you have planned for me. But here I am sitting in that plan, sitting in that wheel. And the plan was just taking too long (laughs) to be completely. It was just taking too long. So I was in his will, but I felt like he had forgotten about me. And like I said, that felt like the worst place. Not being outside of God's will. When I was doing things on my own, I was getting promoted. I was making money. And now all of a sudden in his will. I feel like he he left. So in that moment, the worst place didn't feel like outside of God's will. It felt like being right in his will, knowing you can't leave because you've asked to be in his will. But he's not concerned with you right now. You're in the back of his mind. What I had to realize, just because God wasn't giving me instructions to move, doesn't mean he wasn't giving me instructions. Just because he wasn't saying more doesn't mean he wasn't saying anything. Just because he wasn't giving me advice doesn't mean he wasn't hearing my questions. As a parent, when my child already knows the answers, sometimes I ignore his question. Maybe that's not good parenting. Maybe I should address every question he ever asked me. But when I know for a fact he knows my answer, sometimes I just ignore the question. So this is going to be my point number four. God, as a holy father, ignores the question when he knows you already know the answer. So I I would like, like, remember, I had been praying about this. I had already written stay and ready so. So I knew that all he needed me to do was stay. And that if I thought I was ready, I should be sowing and giving love and kindness. And until I'm until he's ready to send whatever it is, obviously, I have missed the step. So I can either revisit the instructions he's given me or I can continue sowing where I am. I already knew the answer, but I was still praying. I was still praying for the things, but I already knew the answer. And he was like, listen. I've given you the answers. And so, again, I have to say, just because God isn't giving you instructions to move doesn't mean he wasn't giving you instructions. And I would like to say I hit in this moment of me recording, doing the voice recording. uh, Look, I got happy. I was I was in my car by myself. I wrote that and I was like, oh, my goodness, God, you're right. Like you are. That's correct. 
and I took my foot off the brake. Now, again, I'm sitting in a truck. And I had put on the parking brake. But even like when you park and you put your foot on the brake, when you let go of it, the car shifts. And so I did that and the car shifted. And I was like, oh, I get it now, God. See, sometimes the instruction, we, every, we all want instructions to move. But sometimes the instruction is just keep your foot on the brake. Don't move. Sometimes what's up ahead isn't ready for you. Sometimes it's not about you not being ready for what's up ahead. Sometimes what's up ahead isn't ready for you. Some, there's, there's multiple parts to this plan. And just because you're ready for the next phase doesn't mean that other part is ready. And timing is everything, even with God. If I get to that next phase of my life before I'm ready for it or before it's ready for me, it still doesn't work. Throughout these last three or four years with God, building my relationship with him and trusting him more, I've learned a lot. I've and, and, and I've leaned a lot on the prayer. Lord, make this clear to me so that I can understand. I just want to know if I'm moving in the right direction. And for the first three and a half years, God did just that. Everything was crystal clear. I heard his voice clearly. I heard his voice loudly. And so when I didn't in this seven month period between starting to write and getting to here where I started writing, you don't have to. There wasn't a whole lot of clarity. I didn't hear his voice loudly. And so I would ask for clarity and. And I would say, okay, he's, he's sending me a clear sign. And then the signs became less clear. Not because God didn't want to give me clarity, but because I was distancing myself from where he gave me the clarity. Mm. See, God revealed his purpose for me already. But as I kept moving with him, the clarity he gave me was no longer the clarity I needed now. I realized sitting in that truck that I was asking him to continue making clear the message that he gave me, what I needed to ask him, what I'm asking him now, what I was asking him at this point of writing, where do I need to focus? Make that part clear. When I started this journey with him, I needed the plan because he knows me. He knows he he created me. So he knows that I needed the final picture in order to start the process. And so I believe he gave me that. Like, I truly believe God will give you everything you need. And I'm learning that what you need to what I need is not the same thing my sister would need, is not the same thing my mother would need, is not the same thing my brother would need, is not the same thing my best friend would need. But it's what I need. God is always going to give me what I need. And I needed when I started the, the final product. Like, what is this going to look like long term? And so he gave me that. But now that I'm in the process 
And the relationship I have with God has grown to the point where I no longer need to know the end to get to the next step. My trust, my faith in him had grown to the point where the ending was no longer my concern. The ending is no longer my concern. I don't care where I'm going. I just need to know how do you need me to get there? I needed to know what's next. And one thing about eyesight, and this is for all of those of us who who need that corrective, those corrective lenses, you can't focus on what's right in front of you and what's way ahead of you at the same time. You have to pick one. You have to focus. And so in that truck, he gave me that focus. So for the first time in about two months, but about seven months again since I'd started writing, the picture started to get clear again. And in that picture, I wasn't acting. I wasn't doing. I wasn't creating. I wasn't working, at least not in the sense that I had grown to know work. I was praying. And after my years of leaving God between the ages of 18 and 23, when I really didn't believe um, that God even cared about me personally, after those years, what brought me back to God wasn't a miracle being done in my life. And it wasn't a tragedy happening in my life. It was just me one day sitting in a room by myself. After my sixth failed suicide attempt, I heard, clear as any voice I had ever heard before, God just wants to be your friend. So let him. And that moment changed prayer for me forever. Because before that moment, I had never really believed that like I never really believed that God even wanted to be my friend, that God wanted to have a relationship back with me. I knew he wanted me to have a relationship with him. But, and this is deeper into more like how I was raised and parenting and things like that. After my mom died, what I viewed as a relationship between child and parent was the parent craves the relationship from the child, but they're really not going to put in much effort to reciprocate that relationship. And so that's just what I knew of God. I was giving God the burden of the expectation that my earthly father had created for me. So my earthly father set up a relationship and a boundary of relationship and a connection of relationship that I didn't appreciate, I didn't agree with, I didn't like. And so I put that relationship and those rules and those boundaries onto my relationship with God. And I said, oh, so he must, my heavenly father must be like my earthly father and want me to have a relationship with him, but isn't quite willing to put that same relationship back. And in that moment, sitting there, At 23 years old, in my house, a house that I had bought, during the time where I didn't even trust God or believe that God really cared about me, in that time, I bought my first house, had gotten three straight promotions at work. I was really living in a good space, but again, I was on my sixth failed suicide attempt, so how good was it? And that's when I heard the voice. That's when I heard God say, God just wants to be your friend. Let him be your friend. And even having never heard it before, I believed it in that moment. 
So again, the way I prayed changed. The way I talked to God changed. I just started talking to him. I didn't try to make it fancy. I didn't use big biblical words. To be completely honest, I cussed a little. And and to be real, real, like to be 100% honest, open and transparent, I cussed a lot. I cuss a little now when I'm talking to God on some days. But I, at the time, he was getting all of just who I had become in that moment. But I believed everything that I was saying God was hearing and he cared. And sitting in that truck, I rem- I was reminded of this moment just sitting in that room. I I was reminded. I felt so connected to that moment. It was almost like I was looking at myself in that moment, telling myself it's about to get better. Like it's going to seem like it's getting worse, but it's about to get so much better. So I sitting in this truck, I wasn't having another failed suicide attempt. I wasn't even at my lowest point. In fact, I was content with life. But what I've learned in this new relationship with God, what I've had to accept is that content just, it's not good enough in a relationship with God. You want more. You like That's part of the relationship with God is that you know that where you are isn't where God, like it can be where God needs you to be. Here can be holy. And at the same time, you have to realize that just because I'm here and here is holy doesn't mean I'm going to be here tomorrow. And so what can I do to help serve God more? And that's how I realized the last time I needed more from God, I just needed to pray. All the work you've been doing is not useless. It's not in vain. But it is unnecessary. See, I'm a huge LeBron James fan. And so his hashtag strive for greatness, that's something I regularly remind myself of. And it's something I regularly remind other people of. We should be striving for greatness. Average, good, those can't be our standards. I love the scripture, faith without works is dead. Because I do believe that we should be putting in the work to show our faith is faith. Like, I believe God will get me through, but I also know God wants me to prove that I'm trusting in him. God needs me to do my part. He's not going to drag me along. But I also think that more of us should be reminding people, should be reminding young Christians, should be reminding people who don't believe in God, should be reminding people who have turned themselves away from Christ because it just seems too hard that the work is believing. Like what you should be doing is believing in God. If you can handle that part, God will handle everything else. But you do have to do that. You have to do the believing. You have to believe that he will change you. You You have to believe that he can handle all of your problems. You have to believe that But God will handle everything else. And the scripture I've used to hold myself together through all of that time was 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. And he said unto me, my grace is is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities 
then that the power of Christ may rest upon me. In other words, stop worrying about being right. Stop worrying about being the best. Stop worrying about being deserving. Stop worrying about being in the right spot. Stop worrying about knowing the right people. Stop worrying about being strong. You don't have to. Stop 